0: To the Dirty Laundry with Danny podcast. Hi, thank you for joining me on today's episode of Dirty Laundry with Danny. I'm really excited to be here today. I do want to put a trigger warning out. We are going to be discussing some pretty sensitive topics today, including domestic violence, abuse, sexual content and information regarding legal and court proceedings. So if you are sensitive to any of that, then I suggest you do not listen to this episode. Also, just be conscious that children should not listen to this episode either. As I stated in my very first podcast, um, this is an explicit podcast, so just keep that in mind as well. I'm so excited to be here today with my very first guest, Tori. Tori and I connected at the launch of my podcast, and I'm so grateful for her time. And to have her here on my show, Tori is a certified high conflict divorce coach with over 10 years of personal experience relative to the abuse and corruption within the family court system. With very little support or family, she took sole responsibility and supported herself in personally and formally learning the process and steps of the legal system, creating her own documentation system, communication style, and has completely and successfully changed many cases, including those of her own. Today, she speaks with me on a personal level, diving right into her own stories and how she continues to advocate full-time for those experiencing similar situations within the legal system and those experiencing domestic violence. Her goal is to empower and help all victims of domestic violence for those needing guidance, resources, and support. From talking to Tori, I can tell that she is very passionate about what she does, and honestly, it was really refreshing to have conversations with her Um, First of all, I didn't think anybody was going to want to come on my podcast. And then also to discuss the subject that hits so close to home for me. I had talked about this a little bit in my first podcast, but I did grow up in a very hostile domestic violent home for about, I would say about 17 years of my life until I probably went into young adulthood. I. Had a very toxic upbringing. It was very unfortunate for my siblings and I and even going through the court system and and seeing what they did to my family and how difficult it was to navigate, Tori's advocacy really really kind of hits me in the heart, so I'm really excited to speak to her today, hopefully somebody out there listening resonates with this conversation. I will be sharing all contact information at the end of the show. Be sure to follow me at Dirty Laundry with Danny on Instagram, and you can also follow Tori as well. And I highly recommend you do because she has so many great resources and she is very active on social media, sharing tips, stories, advocacy, and support. So just make sure to stay tuned for the whole episode to hear her contact info. Okay. Awesome. So I know we talked um, just about your story and do you want to just first, I guess, get into, you know, what we talked about and then we can kind of lead into, you know, your organization and how you got there. And I guess let's just start with hearing your story because I know I didn't hear all of it and I'm, I'm pretty interested and in, in kind of maybe some things that you had left out or things that you wanted to admit the first time around. And so... <laughs> Yeah,
1: um so I actually um I think you and I actually discussed um childhood and I think that's a big piece of anyone who's experienced any sort of level of a- abusive relationship and I mean like stalking, it could be stalking, it could be physical abuse, it could be whatever. So looking back it's like I've had experiences throughout my childhood but I didn't really give them credit as far as like this is going to make me end up in a scary or abusive situation as an adult. You don't I don't think a lot of kids even think about that. I think generally, abuse is not talked about. Um so looking back on when I was younger, just the levels of experience that I or experiences that I had from even, you know, actual like I would call it like childhood, you know, ad- adolescent, like in into even my mid twenties, um, I never really gave those experiences credit. And I've had some pretty scary and intense situations, mostly with men and, um, or I should say all of them with men. Um, so I didn't really give them credit and I just kept rushing it away and moving to the next relationship. And I didn't realize that it actually was like snowballing into severe trauma. Mm -hmm. And then it was almost like every relationship I had got worse and worse. And I, so I have, um, I do have three kids. They are from three different relationships, but as I look at them, it almost got more intense with each experience. And I really, at the end of the day, just wanted I, my parents didn't really have the best um, marriage, if you will. So I had a different perspective of a relationship of what a marriage should look like. And getting into dating, I was like, I just want someone to like ride or die for me. You know, like, we're just going to do this. Like, I didn't know, I you know, relationships weren't talked about of, no, you have to put in the work, you have to show respect, you have to all of these things. And I just thought, Nope, I'm just going to jump in a relationship and it's just bam going to work. And so I landed in some really um, intense relationships and I ignored every red flag that I should have paid attention to. And I just thought, no, this is a man interested in me and I'm just going to do it. And I never thought about what happens when it goes bad. Like what is the worst that could happen? I you know stalking wasn't talked about, Uh, emotional abuse. Um, I never really was around anyone who was an addict or any of those levels of that make relationships more. The only word I can think of is intense because it's other layers in it, and I also didn't piece it together that. Essentially, the only way to avoid that is healing myself. Mm -hmm. So it kind of all, if you will, exploded with my last is actually my last relationship I was in. And I just kept going from relationship to relationship as far as like, this man is telling me he wants to be in a relationship with me. I don't need to slowly date. I don't need to have him prove himself to me as far as, like, interests, like, you know, slowly taking me on dates or Mm -hmm. all of these things that really, and I I say that as far as, like, I'm I'm sure most of your listeners are are women, but it's also men, too. Like, you know, both genders should be moving slower than just falling into these future faking if you will of oh my god you're the one for me and I've been looking everywhere for a wife husband whatever and that's what I fell into Mm -hmm. pretty much every time like let me have your kid you know and I fell into that
0: do you feel like the because you mentioned red flags which red flags is such a common term now like the red flags and I think it's I mean there's memes about it people joke about walking red flags and walking right past them, do you think that in those relationships, it was an immediate, there were just immediate red flags, that you just ignored them, that they were? Absolutely. And I'm telling you like screaming
1: red flags, like before even talking about being in a relationship, asking you for money. Like I'm talking like I was stupid (laughs) to be like, oh no, it's fine. Like Oh, he's having a hard time. Or I was coerced into sex a lot. Like, it, oh, we're new into a relationship. This is what you owe me. And looking back on it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was a red flag. Like, I'm not talking like, you know, I don't like your outfit or you like I'm not talking little tiny possible red flags. I I was ignoring the flashing lights of, of all kinds of stuff. Like my relationship with my previous relationship, it was asking me for money. Um, I was noticing he was drinking often and I just thought like, you know, the first, our first real, we had connected when we were younger, but there was time in between and i thought like oh we're just on a trip like he's just drinking and it looking back i'm like the amount of alcohol that he was drinking and the behavior in public i should have like like we're talking we were at a we were at a hotel and drinking at the bar whatever seems normal but then the bartender was making a drink for another customer and he reached across the bar and grabbed the glass and I'm like okay this is not how you behave Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and it's unacceptable behavior but he would do these things like joking like oh I thought it was for me but I'm like looking back I'm like you know you didn't order that drink and the bartender being a female he would just flirt it away is what I can explain it as and it's like I should have known, like, I don't want to be with somebody who conducts himself like that. So Mm -hmm. there was, and that was like one of our first, no, that was the, the first time we had been together in almost, um, let's see, it must've been over 10 years. I met him when I was a teenager and we reconnected. And so I should have known, like, these were absolute red flags that I was just so enamored with his humor and his, you know, things like that, that I'm like, okay, yeah, it's funny, but it's not funny. So there were extreme red flags.
0: Now, what you're saying resonates with me because I look back at the men that I've dated or guys, boys, I guess just going back into time and just thinking about times where you, I've been in those situations and in the moment you, you let it slide, you think, oh, like maybe this is the only time or maybe you make excuses for it because you think either it's going to be a one-time thing or the behavior isn't a habit. Um, but then you also talk about self-love, which I think is really important because I think for me, and I can only speak to my experience, is when you don't love yourself, you let a lot more things slide because you feel like you don't deserve that love, that this is what you're going to get. You should just put up and accept. And I'm just speaking for myself, but you should just put up and accept it because who knows what else is going to come along, if anything else is going to come along. And so, you know, they're attractive or they're cute or they do something that's cute and flirtatious. And so you, you kind of hang on that and ignore all of the other red flags that are kind of going on instead of, like you have said, learning how to love yourself. And identifying what you really deserve instead of putting up with, with all of these flags.
1: Yeah, I actually, I went to a, I loved her. She was like a relationship counselor, I believe, but she did a lot of women's groups. And I never had that in my life. I never had a core group of women. And I think that's also really important, even men too, you know, having your core group of of whoever you identify with, that that is your core, and so I would go to these women group, and uh, she would talk about relationships and leaving. She not she didn't necessarily call it abusive relationships, but we all knew what she meant. But one thing that really stood out to me was she was saying that you can either stay in this, like let's say it's an abusive relationship, and you can either stay in the abuse. Or you could take a chance that you could be with a new partner and that issue may be there or it may not be there. But to think about that in your mind, if it's worth like if if this is going to get better with somebody else or kind of. You know, weighing your options as far as like maybe not everybody is like this, and I think that's something that I didn't even consider. I just thought I had to put up with it. I thought, well, I'm in this relationship. I never even considered, you know what, there might be somebody else out there that's going to treat me way better than this. Or I, may, I don't have to put up with someone being an addict or someone throwing things at me or threatening me. I never considered any of that.
0: So I guess when, in the timeline, because I know you're younger than me, but I know in the timeline, you know, you had um, relationships and you've had your children. And you said they had gotten progressively worse. Um, I guess what was, where did you notice it starting? And then I guess we can go into where was, what was the catalyst for you saying, I've had enough, like this, this isn't, this isn't going to continue ever.
1: Yeah. So looking back on it, it's really interesting because when I was in my early 20s, I I re it's really strange actually looking back on it because my first child's dad bullied me in elementary school, literally pushed me on the blacktop. And you know, the whole, like, if they have a crush on you, they'll push you. And nobody I'm talking, no school, nobody, no teachers, They nobody did anything. And I, it stuck with me that he did that. And it was even through high school that I was like, I don't like you because you pushed me when I was, you know, however old, 10, whatever it was. I really don't remember. He didn't remember it. And I remembered it clear as day. And again, it was, I've changed, like we reconnected after high school. I've changed, like, let me be this awesome person to you. And he had a child with somebody else. I was around that child. And He said, like, let's have a baby and let's be this family and yada, yada. And I actually got pregnant literally within two weeks. I do not know how it happened. And I actually had doctors prior to that telling me I was having um, other issues that they couldn't figure out and thought that I couldn't have any kids. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Being told that in addition to like my trauma, like experiencing DV, I had other experiences when I was younger, but also being told you can't have kids. I was like, I have to have a kid right now. Like I was so like, like a level of like sperm donor, you know, of like, just give me a kid.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he did and ended up kind of falling off, like disappearing. And I could not get a hold of him. He didn't want, he said he was sick when we, when I found out you know, the gender of our child and come to find out a he was like you know would block do the whole like um i would list it more of like emotional abuse as far as like blocking unblocking that whole deal and he mm-hmm. had blocked me and i had somebody else look him up on facebook and he was magically in a relationship with somebody else wow. and i was pregnant with his child and i reached out to her or she reached out to me i really don't remember and she said well i'm going to laugh in your face when you find out it's not his kid and i'm like first of all He's not a winner. Like everybody where I live, like they're like if you could pick someone to be your baby dad, that would not be it. So mm-hmm. like it wasn't like some rich man that I was using for money and so I experienced that and you know the coming and going. He was trying to figure out if he wanted a be quote unquote a family and I was just like over it. Like go away. I'll figure it out on my own. Um and also experiencing in court, at the court level of him not even paying his child support. And I'm talking, I think, um, my child's not even close to 15 right now. Not even close to 15. And he is still $40,000 in arrears. Wow. And wow. I didn't consider that as abuse. And the more I actually, I just recently got... um, back to school and educated in in the legal system and family court and abuse within the family court system, I'm realizing that's also a tactic of abusers is not paying child support. But to me, with my own experiences, I I don't want to discredit anyone else, but as far as my relationship with the, you know, everyone else is, that was kind of low level, if you will, of whatever, I'll figure out the child support part, but it really is a piece of the abuse. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just, you know, stepped up, took care of my child, and I ended up in another relationship, again, with someone I have known for many years, but not on a romantic level. And that one kind of came in trying to be, you know, knight in shining armor and let me take care of you kind of deal. And it sounded nice. Again, the future faking, the love bombing. And I didn't know what any of that was. I didn't know what the phrases were then. I didn't know what to look for. And there would be things like, I could not go to the gym without him knowing where I was going. Like, okay, what time is the class you're going to take at the gym? send me a picture that you're at the gym. And I could only go to a women's only gym. And then later he would tell me, mind you, that was the only time I was ever allowed to leave the house Mm -hmm. without him. And he would say, you're going out with your friends. I'm like, I'm at the gym. Wow. So it would just escalate. And there were other pieces to it where I didn't again, identify that it was abuse. And Looking back on everything that I experienced, um, there was even parts where I was trying to run a business from home, a clothing business, and uh, whether whatever he decided, you know, emotionally why to do this, I don't know um, if it was because I left him or or what. Just completely decided to hide all of my clothing from my business. So even when I finally escaped,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I couldn't even make money for myself because I had no all of the retail that I had gone. So, um, yeah. And then I quickly ended up in another relationship and it was more so because I felt like I was struggling by myself. I had two kids, wasn't working out. Um, my, both of my parents had actually died at that point. And, you know, when your parents die, I feel that a lot of people don't know this, but, um, or maybe they've experienced one level or the other, it's either your siblings, you come closer together or you separate. Mm-hmm. I had already spoken about the abuse that I was experiencing from my middle, uh, experience, um, child's dad, but I didn't really even, I don't think I labeled it as abuse. I was just like, I, I filed a tiara a temporary restraining order. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get out, but my siblings were like, He looks so nice. I don't get it. I don't think you're being abused. <sighs> and then on top of that, the death of our last parent, they just thought I th- I think they thought the timing was weird. Like, I think my my parents didn't come from money, if you will. Um, they were very, they're very well known in this community in this town, but we weren't rich by any means. But for some reason, I think. My sibling side was coming after the money like, oh, this is weird. She's saying she's going to leave her relationship and take over this house and this and that. And it just was very difficult. Lawyers involved in everything. And so I just needed someone to comfort me.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I, I landed with my younger child's dad and... I, like I said, I ignored every red flag because I was honestly so desperate to just be comforted to not be alone and, and- not think at all. Let me heal everything going on. Let me invest in myself. Let me figure out who I am. I didn't think like that. I just, I don't want to be alone. Mm-hmm. And I quickly moved him in because he was saying like he couldn't pay rent or something, which is now looking back bizarre because I'm like, you're a single person. You don't have anything else going like you could literally work five jobs if you wanted to you know and I'm over here with two other kids and I'm like okay I'm figuring it out but again red flag I ignored so he moved in again we talked about a child and I again got pregnant really fast so um again mistake on my part but I picked up so many lies right away like once he moved in, I really started noticing, like now that's a lie. And it would be this face like a like a child. you know, when you catch him in a lie and they're trying to like, oh, my God, I have to think of another lie mm-hmm. to cover this lie, even though it's not a big deal. And it was just constant issues with him. And I finally, Everything came to a head when I was pregnant. He had given me his passcode to his phone, whether he remembers that or not. And I saw multiple women that he was sexting, um, heavily flirting with, if you don't even want to consider that, sexting, sending videos. Um, Some of these women knew I was pregnant and some did not. And I'm talking every app. Email, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, texting. And I was so disgusted. And it that was kind of like I wouldn't call it a light bulb moment, but mm-hmm. it was the light was starting to shine brighter. Right. Like, you know, this is bad. So that's when I was like, okay, I need to figure something out. And I don't care if I'm pregnant or not. Like this is it. Did you end up leaving
0: that relationship or having him, you know, exit the home? How did that unfold ultimately with that last relationship? So I did what
1: I feel like most people do is I tried to confront him, Mm -hmm. like give him a new chance, which was probably the dumbest thing I could do. But I also feel like that's a natural thing to do, right? Like found this, I found that, or why are you doing this? I feel like it's a very natural thing to do. And a lot of people don't talk about that, that it's like, it's a human reaction of, hey, this bothered me kind of deal. And so I confronted him about it. And he had said, I, I, I'll stop. Like, you're the one I want to be with, you know, all the lines. And I kind of believed him, but I was being very cautious. He said, you know, I'll even not change the passcode. Like, I already told you what it is. This is the passcode to my phone. I won't hide anything from you. and. It was very bizarre because after he had said that, there was one girl he was emailing and I reached out to her. Like, I don't know what's going on. Just so you know, I'm pregnant and he's living with me. Like, please stop. Maybe he didn't tell you, but I'm telling you. And she wanted to talk on the phone and I talked to her on the phone and she still refused to stop talking to him. And he had told me, I will give up every girl but her. And I'm, you know, thinking about it, I remember I was sitting at the beach with my, pregnant, I was probably five, four or five months pregnant at this point. And I remember thinking like, why would I do, why would I do this? Like. I'm pregnant with your child. You're telling me you want to marry me. You're mm-hmm. telling me your parents love me. I've met his parents before. but you're not willing to give up one woman that you're they would have this banter, like like a couple. like you didn't do this right to me. You didn't And I'm thinking, like, why would you have that conversation with somebody when you're in a relationship with me? Right? I remember weighing that like, no, it doesn't seem fair. But I still kind of waited it out instead of rushing to a decision. And I noticed he was, I, I would find bottles in my garage of alcohol because I told him like, I'm realizing now that you're an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. He would pass out everywhere. Um, he moved our bed away from the wall. So he had a little space to hide his alcohol next to our bed. And I've never been with anyone who was an addict of any kind. So this was like so bizarre to me. And then he said, like, I'll try and stop. But I started becoming like Detective Tory at this point. Like, I will look through everything and observe. And I would notice that his backpack, like, he would take his backpack everywhere, whatever. I never really thought about what was in it. And then I started searching it. And he would have handles of alcohol. I remember one time it was a handle of wine. And two bottles of hard alcohol. And wow. I, I live in wine country and I'm like, nobody here drinks handles of wine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're already on the wrong page like, of wine. But that told me he didn't even care what he was drinking. Right. So I was like, I can't do this. He would throw things. Um, he threw a jewelry box um, because he was upset and it shattered glass everywhere He would, um, I remember hiding in my room and locking the door and he would bang on the door and yell at me through the door to do whatever he wanted me to do. And that was like, okay, I can't do this anymore because Mm -hmm. I also have two other kids and I don't want them traumatized. So, and I had experienced yelling exactly like that, you know, hiding in a room, going through doors from my previous relationship. And something in me this time was like, I will not be stuck with somebody. It was like more of a fire in me that I had to do something. And I called the police. There was a time that he was drunk and yelling and all of that and I called the police for um them to help and I asked like can you remove him because he's drunk, he's doing this and that. And they came and he just switched like he hid stuff went out there, tried to schmooze them. Of course, one was a female officer and they told me like, no, we're not going to remove him. He's on the lease. And I could not believe it. I'm like, I'm calling you for help. I don't know what else to do. And so that was my like, okay, now I know the first thing. And the only thing I can think of was to get him off the lease. So I went to a domestic violence organization and I said, look, I have all these, um, messages and some of the messages were what I thought were jokes of him telling me, um, cause after I got pregnant, he actually freaked out and said, you, I need you to have an abortion. And I said, no, I just, I can't live with that. I can't look at my other two kids and personally think about a new baby that, I just had an abortion about, and I, I'm, I felt like I was too old to like, oopsie, you know? Right. And he would message me like, I'm so angry. I could kill someone right now. And wow. I just thought it was jokes. Like, you know, he, okay, he's having a bad day. But when I was at the point, you know, a couple months later, so that had been probably a three or four months span from when he was threatening me to when I had called the police. And that probably was my light bulb moment of, what if he does kill me? Like, what if he wasn't joking? What if he would threaten to um, throw one of my kids off balconies? Like, oh I'm like, if she doesn't get out of my face, I'm going to throw her off a balcony. And again, thought he was joking. Like, n- nobody does that, right? Like, I never was around, like, I feel like n- there's articles of people doing stuff, but we're like, oh, can't happen to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Slowly, that realization of like, oh my God, this could happen to me. And so I took all of those messages, took them to the domestic violence shelter, and I was like, you need to help me. And I filed a restraining order. And it was such, whatever you want to call it, divine timing or whatever, that that happened. And Two weeks later was the pandemic shutdown where you couldn't evict people.
2: Oh, wow. I literally got insane. him served
1: two weeks before the pandemic. And I was like, thank God I did that. Um, The day that I got it, basically granted by the court, but he wasn't served yet. Um, So he knew that I was like kind of done. Like he was trying to say every line of, okay, well, since you're mad that I won't pay rent, which is like, duh. Um, What if I pay garage rent and I sleep in the garage and I'm like, who does this? And I'm like, okay, fine. Like, I'm so done with you. Yeah, you go sleep in the garage (laughs) with the the lizards and shit, whatever. Like, have fun. That's what you want to do. And he would be drunk and pass out in the garage. And I remember that morning. So then the previous night he was drunk, sleeping in the garage, whatever. and. I got the TRO granted by the court, took it to my leasing office, and I said, here, I need you to change the locks. And he was sleeping through them changing the locks. And <laughs> I was like, what a <laughs> girl's got to do what a girl's got to do, honey. <laughs> like, I was getting new locks. You can't hear anything because you're passed out. and <laughs> You're going to wake up. You're going to leave. <laughs> you're not going to be able to get back in. So he was taken off the lease. The locks were changed. I was done. And I was like, okay, well, the cops are going to serve him and I could figure out like getting his stuff to him later. Um, and I'm like, you know, he's got other girls he's using. He had girls in basically every state girls in other countries. He was messaging, telling his friends, I'm going to go see this girl in this country. And I was not, you know, me and my child were not, you know, with him were not a priority. Like, okay, fine. Go choose them. I don't need to deal with you. And, um, he went to a bar, we're we're in a very small town and he went to a bar after work. So he worked as a cook and he went to a bar after work. And one of my girlfriends was there, but because I was busy hustling and taking care of my other kids and working, like I didn't go out with my friends. I just had, you know, my eyes on my own paper kind of deal. So he didn't know any of my friends. And again, he didn't, he moved here from somewhere else. So he didn't know how small of a town this is. Mm -hmm. My girlfriend is looking at him knowing good and well who this man is as he's flirting with the bartender and he had brought her food because he was a cook. And the bartender's like, I guess, um, you know, my friend was like, oh, she's like giggling and told me he brings her food all the time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Because I'm over here pregnant. Right. We all know how pregnant women love to eat. Like, and you didn't bring me anything. And my friend starts playing like, you know, like as if she didn't know who he was or knew about me. So she's asking him, where are you from? Like, what do you do? And he made up a whole story. And she said, yeah, right. Like you probably moved here for a girl. And he said, no, I don't have a girlfriend. And mind you, I still had not even served him with the TRO and he thought he was sleeping in the garage and we were like slowly working it out and whatever. And so she looked him up on Facebook cause she knew he, like he she was like, how do you spell your name again? And she looked him up and it said in a relationship. And she was like in front of the bartender, the female bartender, like, isn't this you in a relationship? And he's like, oh, no, 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 that, that's old. That's old. I haven't fixed it yet. You know, lies, lies, lies. And my friend had texted me, by like, was, she was doing all this PI work, essentially, without telling me. And she said, um, yeah, I went out to, I think she stepped away to do something. I don't remember if it was to go to the bathroom or I don't know what. And both him and the bartender were gone when she came back. So she's wow. like, whatever. So she goes to leave later and she sees him passed out in the alley, drunk. Wow. And she asked me, like, should I pick him up and bring him to your house? And I said, no, he doesn't live here anymore. Like, (laughs) locks are changed, honey. Like, this is not his residence anymore. I'm not taking care of him. Like, that, I was done. Like, I put up with way too much. And then I did not hear anything for hours. That must have been, I want to say, around four. And uh, maybe around 10 or 11. I heard knocking at the door and it was him. And I remember being like, I don't know why you're here. If you need somewhere to go, why don't you call the bartender that you were talking to? And he had no response because he didn't know that I knew yet. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have a key. You don't live here anymore. Can figure it out. And I think that night i think he called the cops or somebody called the cops because i remember looking out the window and seeing police cars and i'm like i'm just gonna go to bed because he doesn't hear anymore there's a tro like i'm not even supposed to be in contact with him right i'm no and i just went to bed and i don't know where he went what happened and apparently he had girls paying for his hotel room to leave like he you know he schmoozed them to pay for uh the girl he was emailing um she lives in she lives on the east coast i'm on the west coast she's on the east coast and she would pay for his hotel room like thank god you left her and i'm like what is wrong with you and apparently um because i've kind of been in contact with people that know him apparently this female was helping him for over a decade
0: oh my god
1: and he was using her like flat out you know using her for money they didn't have a kid together they were never married like i i honestly feel bad for her that she was so heavily manipulated by him that you're on a completely different coast from this man you don't know what he's doing every day you don't know who he's talking to and you're like I need your love so bad, I'm gonna send you a ton of money and just love me. And that really was what I got from her. Even though I was angry that she participated in the whole dynamic when I was pregnant, but I can only kind of step back and say, like, she probably didn't love herself enough.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it wasn't her fault. Um, so that whole, you know, that played out. He left, um, pandemic happened. I guess he was hopping around to different people um, and basically what he does, you know, sleeps with women so he can find somewhere to stay and then moves on to the next one. And he moved with his parents back on the East coast. And I was only granted a one year restraining order when it finally was granted. It took probably. So I think I, so I filed in March And I was not granted like a, I'll call it a permanent restraining order in until the end of July. And I had our child in August and they only, the judge only gave me one year. And I'm like, that doesn't seem very long. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, um,
0: when I think it, in, yeah, I think in California, and I can only speak for California, um, I think it's pretty customary that they implement one year, and then after that, you have to go back, and if you're just listening in California, but prove that there is still a risk, or there is still a risk of violence, and it's unfortunate, because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a piece of paper, too, you right. know? Yeah, and that, that's actually
1: what happened, is I was like, okay, maybe the one year will give me... Like he'll just go away, you know, even though it's scary of uh, all the evidence that I provided of it should not have been one year. Like this man should have been in jail. Um, he also has a actual diagnosis of um, it's called reactive attachment disorder. And um, in my training, we've actually touched on narcissism. I'm not a psychologist, but I had um, I had Dr. Romney in my training, who's huge on narcissism and kind of the psychology behind it. I've had a diagnosed narcissist. So I don't usually like to throw out the word narcissism mm-hmm. because it's not something that I can diagnose people with. But to me, what I've experienced is that reactive attachment disorder is far worse than narcissism because, um, I don't know if you would call it like a symptom, but one of it is actually threatening to kill people or killing people. <coughs> Excuse me. Can okay, so-
0: you? Yeah. Can you speak just a little bit, just from what you know about just a summary of what narcissism would be described as, and then the reactive disorder as well? Yeah.
1: So narcissism is, it's essentially like a, a ego problem. If you look at it, it's, it's actually people who have very fragile egos that want to be put on this pedestal of like, they're God, like they don't do anything wrong. Oh my god, it's you that's the problem. Um like a lot of the gaslighting, um they don't think that they can like do any harm as far as like cheating, manipulating, those kinds of things. Um it's almost like they act out of like getting a thrill from it. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a lot of like they think there's no rules to like I'm not going to get in trouble if you know, let's say, so the girls were sending him money. So he's like, whatever, I'm not going to get in trouble for it. Um, So that could be seen as more of like the narcissism. And there is a difference between actual narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder. So, and I, there's, I think what, like 10% of the population has NPD, but it's also because they don't, they think they're above doctors. So they won't even go get diagnosed. Some of them even will get diagnosed to be like, I'm now diagnosed, you know, because they want the attention. So that's on that level of narcissism. And I think a lot of us have narcissistic traits, but it doesn't Absolutely. necessarily
0: mean that you're a narcissist, right? Yeah, I was going to say, just because I have dealt with a lot of men and even some women who have had narcissistic traits. But the one key indicator that I would say stands out for all of these people—they're highly insecure. At the end of the day, they are the most insecure people that I've probably ever experienced. Even though their narcissistic traits seem to trump those insecurities, but if you're looking and you're diving deep into it, you can say, okay, it makes sense they did X, Y, Z because they're so insecure. And but on the surface, you would never see that. You would just see how in my mind, how is he getting all of these women to send him money or, you know, what is so, um, charismatic about him? You know, he, he just, in your case, he works as a cook. He doesn't make money. He doesn't have anywhere to live. Like how is he, but at the end of the day, men, men like that, or, you know, what I've experienced, they're so insecure and I I guess I still have a hard time wrapping my head around how they play that game. But I, I do know a lot of it is just bare bottom insecurity, and maybe it's just i'm I mean, I'm not a clinician or a psychologist or anything, but just from experience I've been able to tell that a lot of it is just self esteem at the end of the day, and I don't know how deep rooted it is, it must go pretty, pretty, pretty deep,
1: yeah, it's usually from childhood. um what I have found it it's it's usually from the mother enabling them, but not always. And I will also say that, um, because of my training, I I like, I'm honestly really hard to date now. Um, and I will look at their professions because that psychologically we pick professions that are, I would say like more of the soul core to us. And if you look at people's professions, it actually tells you about them. So the fact that he was a cook, he wants people's attention, right? Like I'm going to cook this and they're going to praise me. And that's what I want. So Mm -hmm. I will look at people's professions and say, nope, like statistically, you're more likely to be an abuser. I cannot deal with that kind of profession. I cannot deal with that. Uh, you're probably, you're in this, so I you're probably hiding money. And I will literally run people's like forensic accounting.
0: Like I- I'm the worst at this point. <laughs> hey, I wish I had those PI skills. And just for any men listening, I was talking about this the other day with my friend. And when you we were talking about your bartender friends, women are the best investigators. And I don't, if there's just something in us that in 10 minutes or less, we can probably find out most information. And the thing is, is just because we don't say it doesn't mean we don't know it. And in a lot of cases, we already know what you're lying about. We already know that you're lying to our faces. And whatever scenarios you're trying to create, we probably have already pinned that down. And I think I think what the sad part is, is for a lot of women is You subconsciously make that decision to not act on it or to say, you know what, you're lying to my face, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to kind of see where this goes. And I think that's part of the relationship issues. But I mean, we are awesome investigators.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I actually read a book. I forget what it's called, but it was written by a man and he wrote all of the professions or I mean, all of the things that women were better at than men. And a, a PI was one of them. And I think it does go back to our intuition Mm -hmm. that uh, throughout time, we've actually separated ourselves from that intuition. And I think that also plays into why, statistically, women are more likely to experience domestic violence. But I think that it's also because we ignore the red flags. We ignore our intuition. We kind of turn off those uh, abilities, if you will, and our natural abilities of what we should be doing. So yes, I agree that women are better PIs, but then when you find situations, they'll come up with lies and you're like, oh okay, that makes sense. And then you kind of sweep it under the rug. Mm -hmm. And that's
0: what I did. Right. Do you just as far as I guess where you where you stand now, how are things with this man and the the last relationship? Because I know that you had stated that this was Probably the as far as progression went, the worst out of the three relationships that you had had with your children's um father, so where do things stand now, and you know what did you take away, I guess from that relationship because I know that you obviously put your foot down, there was a catalyst for change, and you know in retrospect, what do you look back and think like I'm so happy that I learned from this relationship or even pieces from the other ones as well,
1: yeah. So I actually, um, it actually got far worse and, um, he was posting online to have people come drag me. He was posting about guns, um, like using them, trying to buy them. Um, and this is all with the restraining order in place would actually in, in California, um, and in most restraining orders as well. You can't have any weapons. Mm-hmm. And I would, he would publicly post online about, like I said, harming me, tracking me down, um, taking our child. And I was little PI, like I had it in my mind, like I have to do something because this restraining order is going to expire. And even though, like you said, it is a piece of paper, I still have to do with what's right in the eyes of the court system. Because if something, if he were to show up at my door, I would still have to call the police and say, hey, I I at least have a restraining order.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I had to get a lawyer, um, which I could have easily done it myself if he lived in California, but he was hopping around to different states. And having people contact me, to actually drop the restraining order. And I said, I'm not doing that. Um, and so I, you know, had it in my mind, like, I'm not going to drop this. And so I hired a lawyer and I said, I'm I'm scared. Like I need to know what's going to happen. And in my other situation, um, with my other child's father he was actually kind of manipulating the situation in in the court system and using this experience against me to obtain custody of our child and so that actually fueled me to say like okay even if i wanted to not file renew the restraining order i have to like not only is he posting online but like at this point my other child's father is kind of manipulating the facts mm-hmm. And I have to show again, in the eyes of the court, that's not true. So I worked with a lawyer to track down, um, my younger child's dad and he was at that point. Um, I think he was in, um, Arizona and he had, I'm now close to the family, but he had told his sister Um, I need to stay with you so I can quote unquote, learn how to be a dad. And I'm going to come back to California and get my baby, but I need to know how to be a dad. And he does these things where it's like, you know, I saw you laughing and it's like to us, it's like, what a joke, but he has this way about him where it's like, that makes sense. How cute, you know? Right. And, um, so she let him and the whole family um they had no contact with our child because of the restraining order i said i'm not even going to risk it my lawyer told me not to risk it so i didn't contact any of them and they had never they didn't know her name they didn't know when she was born they didn't know oh. he wasn't the birth certificate because that's what i had to do too of mm-hmm. this man is not safe and uh he told everyone he was coming here for court to obtain custody or something And so they all believed it. And he came; he did come here. We did a Zoom court, but he didn't even put up a fight in court. It was a renewal of the restraining order Um, because he didn't have a lawyer. He was able to cross-examine me, and he had like the most ridiculous. It was one like compound question, like "Why are we here today?" "I don't understand why we're here today." And even the judge, my lawyer, were all like, "What?" Are you even saying? And yeah. he looked an absolute mess. He was missing a front tooth because he knocked it out with a vodka bottle. Like he was just not court ready where right. on top of everything else, he's like, no. And they did extend the restraining order. And apparently while he was in Arizona, he was hooking up with um, the neighbor's wife wow and the wife you know i don't know i was not a part of that marriage i don't know the dynamic but it doesn't shock me because he just uses women um and has for decades and like i i'm in contact with one of his exes we're really good friends i like it's proven like this this is track record mm-hmm. and um the neighbor would tell uh, my baby's aunt like, oh, I have this guy I'm hooking up with in California, and meanwhile it's her brother.
0: And it was like I'm laughing at the, the audacity. I mean, yes. that's I'm, it's not it's not a funny situation. It's just mind blowing that it continues, and it's like, you know, when somebody puts their foot down, they just prey on somebody else.
1: Yes, that's exactly what it was. And he would have multiple women lined up. It wasn't like you know, let me fully be invested in one and fade out to one other person. It was multiple women. Mm-hmm. And um I guess they continued their relationship. He broke up that family and he actually had told people, I love breaking up marriages. Wow. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Um, I guess um I'll just say there was a pregnancy involved. I'm pretty sure there was an abortion um, because of the facts that I found. But I guess they weren't able to prove whose child it was. Mm-hmm. Um, But I also, when he lived here, I don't even think I've mentioned this yet, is he had a box of his stuff and I found a paternity test in it. And it like, I didn't know who that girl was. And I'm like, is there a child out there and, and come to find out she had an abortion as well. And I'm like, how many women, how many do you do this to of this, like, breeding kink or something of getting them pregnant, having an abortion and that kind of thing. And I think it also preys on the emotional part of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so See, I know we talked about this when we had talked um, before the podcast, but yeah. so if if people don't know. And I was just talking to somebody about this before we had met. There is something that is called it is a, they call it breeding, and it's a kink. And basically, it's these men who reach out to women, and there's different ways they do it. Some like to just reach out to strangers and send them messages. Some are in like groups where they meet people that are like them, um, just like any other kinks. But basically, they just want to get women pregnant. And like you said, it's they don't want any attachment to this child they don't even necessarily in some cases want this woman to have the child it's just the idea that they are impregnating this woman and so you had mentioned that and i was like oh my god i was just just (laughs) suspecting this but it is a real thing and a lot of people don't know about it but it it does happen um and i only know about it because i had a man slide into my dms one time and he's just like i just want to get you pregnant and i was just like this is the creepiest. Yeah, closest thing I've ever heard in my life and like immediately blocked <laughs> but um but like you said you were saying that it's it's also an emotional kink where it's like they just prey on kind of these women and and I don't I don't really necessarily know if women are involved in this kink I I think that there's I don't know I guess I don't know the psychology behind why a woman would be attracted to that but I mean, you know, a little me, bit more. I
1: can speak on my experience because I have multiple kids by multiple whim or men, but it's, um, it's for me, it wasn't even like a kink. It was mm-hmm. like, I wanted a family. I legitimately right. wanted a family. And if that meant I had to actually have a biological child with this man to then see it as a legitimate family, I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. And also having it in my mind, like. I had a number in my head as far as like, I don't want kids after this age. I, you know, was told previously I had health problems. So I'm like, okay, if it happens, it happens. So it wasn't even like, I didn't see myself having the kink. I don't know, maybe I do, but I felt a family thing. Um, and I, but I think the emotional part of it, as far as what I was talking about with him, is he thinks it, it's like a thrill for him to have women emotionally attached to him and it does go back to that reactive attachment I don't think we've touched on this is so reactive attachment is actually from children who never had basically a caregiver like a bond from it's primarily from age like zero to five or six and Mm -hmm. like talking like when they cry nobody consoles them when they like they have no emotional connection to anyone and children need that they need to be held they need to be loved they need to be consoled and when you don't have that it's traumatic and it actually has lifelong um, issues with it and you see it a lot with kids who are adopted Mm -hmm. and he was adopted he just never told me I found out after I had had um, the baby and it makes so much sense to me Like, it's very similar to the narcissism where like a fragile person, but they go to all of these people planting these seeds of whether you call it emotional tie, using that like to get attention because they didn't have it as a child. And I'm over here like, I just want to love somebody, you know, (laughs) I want someone to be faithful to me, love somebody. So if you need love, I'll give you love. Right. I didn't realize that he was, he can't give, he can't fulfill me when he's. With five thousand women, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, the I think part of that too is the the breeding kink because, hey, if I can get a, a woman pregnant, maybe she can't leave me, and it kind of feeds into that pain from his trauma. But right. it it was a very like, okay, I wanted that, but now that we already had sex, I want you to have an abortion like I don't mm-hmm. actually want the child. I don't want to be a dad. And so, so Right. So it's very bizarre and also what I noticed was most of the women that he I would I'll call it preyed on were moms. Most of them had kids. And I think Part of that is the reactive attachment. Like his inner child was so hurt, he wanted a mom. You know, mm-hmm. he had his his adopted mom that, like, in his eyes, was his mom. But I think his inner child was so damaged and reactive attachment. There's no like cure. You can't take medicine. You can't do therapy. Like, that's it. Like, mm-hmm. it's really, it's horrifying. Really.
0: So. Oh. I mean, your stories, and you know, I know there's a lot of women who have, and that's why I was so excited to start this podcast. Is
1: you know, in talking
0: to you, you you're so relatable because even though I don't have children or I don't have you know fathers of my children, the relationships I've been in, I can see parallels of like, okay, yeah, I remember that. And for me, I just kind of sit back and think, God, I'm glad I didn't have children. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's great for you that you were able to kind of break free of that to set a better example or kind of an example, but just have a better life for your children. Because I think all parents make mistakes. And I think as children, you learn to do better. And that's just how life goes on. But you had stated that, you know, your parents had passed. And I'm so sorry for that. But how did your siblings, like where was your support group? during? Was it your friends? Was it your siblings? Like how did you get You didn't have any.
1: I didn't have any. I, so many people didn't believe me. Like, and we're talking like going back, you know, years when I've, um, and even traumatic incidents with men prior to anyone I had kids with, anytime I reported stuff, nobody believed me. So it was, it wasn't really a new experience for me to talk about being abused mm-hmm. because nobody believed me. And also because I, actually was so isolated from my previous relationship that I already was lacking on the, the friends part. Cause I wasn't allowed to leave my house. I was monitored when um, he would go into my accounts and make sure, like see who I was talking to. If it were men, um, I have records of him reaching out to those men to say, don't talk to her and that kind of thing. And I didn't really have close friends. I had friends that I would like talk to, but I was not, able to connect on that level to have a support group or a core support system so when I you know served him and all of that with during the pandemic I actually oddly enough I liked it Mm -hmm. I liked that like because I was so used to it right like I didn't have anyone I to this day I have not talked to my siblings because they have this notion in their head and I can't solve that for them. I can't, if they don't want to believe it, they don't want to believe it. And I'm kind of like, there's only so much energy you can give people. And if they Mm -hmm. choose to believe this, that, and the third, then that's on them. You know, you're, you're exerting so much energy when you can put it somewhere else. And that's what I did. So I had my child, my third one at the, basically the end of 2020.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I went back to school in 21. So it was still the shutdown and I had all of my kids at home, no family support, no friends, you know, helping me, no neighbors helping me nothing. And I went back to um study the legal system. And cuz I'm like it, I didn't even it didn't even cross my mind to do it as a profession. I was like I'm going to utilize the tools of college. Mm-hmm to apply to my situation, whether it's the restraining order, family court, anything like that. And I just, I honestly look back and I don't know how I did it with even now of of no support. Nobody takes my kids for me. Nobody, um, you know, in, in the two out of three, I have full time. They don't go to anybody and I've gotten multiple degrees, certifications, the list goes on it in the system of helping domestic violence victims now helping people leave abusive relationships um navigating the family court system and using strategy with that and i actually really loved doing the work on myself like i'm now in therapy consistently um sometimes i do it twice a week i've just got back I, you know there's a little break where i wasn't going to the gym but physically working out and exerting that energy and also for me turning around to help domestic violence victims, it's also like justice that I'm getting, even though it's their situation, it's still fulfilling me as a person. But yeah, I don't have, I don't have people I hang out with, to be honest. Like I don't, I don't go out. I don't drink alcohol. I, I literally zone out to myself. Like I read a book in the hot bath at night, like an old lady. (laughs)
0: What Honestly, what it sounds like is, and it's, it's and I've been there. And as sad as it is that you can't lean on people, and especially your family, because and I am not a believer whatsoever in blood is thicker than water. People will, in my family, some of my extended family are believers in that. And I'm like, kick rocks, because that doesn't even apply. Um, but it, it's just unfortunate that you didn't have that. But what it sounds like is that now you're choosing to be there for women who don't have that either or who may have it but people don't know how to help I mean like I talked to you a little bit about before we had started recording was you know coming from a domestic violence situation where it was flipped where my mom was kind of the antagonizer there weren't resources for my dad and so even now in this day and age it's hard for just people in general and for women who don't know what to do you're saying like the police come and they don't do anything because you know, of all of the logistics that go along with, you might live together, you're married, or whatever it may be. And so the resources, even though there's a lot of them, the system does not favor victims in these situations. So it sounds like you've chosen to kind of, you know, advocate and be there for those who are kind of suffering through these situations.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm noticing. And looking back at kind of taking my pain and helping others it what i see is you know the we'll take family law lawyers family law lawyers are doing their job they they've studied law they're using legalese in court they're following procedure right and within california um and i don't know if you know this but it might also help the listeners is at least in california um court professionals only need 16 hours a year on domestic violence a year and then You know, let's say in my county, I talk to um, the domestic violence organization here, which is the only one, and they only help if the incident has happened within the last six weeks, Although, even though the statute of limitations in California is longer than that.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Let's take rape, for example. It could be years. It could be, you know, five years plus, but yet a domestic violence organization will not help you because let's say it happened three years ago. And maybe they're driving by your house after they raped you four years ago. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Okay. Well, they might just see like, he's not threatening you. He's just driving by your house. But, but this is someone who traumatized you. Right. And it's, it is abuse. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so that's what I'm noticing in the system is that there's a huge hole of the domestic violence organizations only do this. And then, you know, the court system only does that. I also had a conversation with a detective about how they approach domestic violence victims. And they said, we're not really trained on domestic violence. And they said like, we ask them if they want to press charges or not. And if they say, no, we don't press charges. I'm like, don't ask them like that. You shouldn't ask them. You should press charges. You have that power to do so and you should do it. And I've actually had several attorneys, not only um, some hire me, some tell like beg me to work for them. I've I've had attorneys ask me out on dates. Like <laughs> I know I'm this sounds so cocky. I know I'm highly sought after, and like I don't want to be a lawyer though. I I don't even think I even want to like date a lawyer because I don't I really don't want to be involved in that part of it. And there are good lawyers out there, there mm-hmm. really are. But what I find in family court is that. There's a huge lack of understanding of domestic violence. And it's the, the bottom line of this all is the power and control. Mm-hmm. So it could be the emotional, the financial, all of these things that kind of fly under the radar as far as like, everyone's looking at physical violence and it may not even ever reach physical violence, but there's all of these underlying forms of abuse and manipulation and right. the conditioning, the grooming, the, all of that. Yeah. And, I kind of compare it to like the Pavlov response, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're being conditioned to only respond to certain things. And Mm -hmm. you then as a victim, don't think it's abuse when it is, but who is going to help you? The domestic violence don't, court doesn't. So I'm like, I will fill that hole. And I actually, um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but this actually runs in my family is changing laws. Um, my dad would petition um in Sacramento, the White House, my dad would go all over and wow. serve for um low-income families.
0: That's awesome. So it's in your
1: blood. It's <laughs> in my blood. And I was like, hey, this is like, this makes sense now. This is my calling. <laughs> and the That's- funny thing is, my um, so my my dad's actually a first generation Mexican and he's the only one of his siblings to go to college. Or in wow. his family, really, other than you know, his kids. But um, my grandma spoke very little English. Like we would have to go to her and speak Spanish, but my dad, you know, was of the generation of uh, he could not speak Spanish outside the home because at that point it was kind of like, "Oh, you're going to be looked down upon." Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would relate to that. If they came from a Latino household. Um, but my grandma kept saying, "Someone in our family is going to be a lawyer." And she kept, like, joking around that you're my little lawyer. And it was between (laughs) myself and my cousin. And I actually reconnected with my cousin. She was, like, my favorite cousin ever um, in 2018. And she went into banking. So I'm like, apparently it's me. Apparently I'm the lawyer. And grandma knew this the whole time.
0: (laughs) I think what's so awesome, and we'll get a little bit more into, like, exactly what you do, but what I think – it's so awesome just talking to you is I think people that do change the world in my opinion are usually not the people that are bound by regulations and licenses and guidelines and degrees so basically lawyers do great things and I'm not discounting I mean they're like you said they're great lawyers and then you have lawyers that go and they clock in like a nine to five they don't care to do anything other than their job and that's just for any profession you see but I think what we do see is people who do make an impact on the world are the people that don't go into it for the paycheck or they don't go into it just to say, Hey, I'm this, or this is my title. And I I think that's so great. I mean, just to hear you speak of like you went into it because of your experiences and wanting to be impactful and to help other women. And I think that's awesome. So, I mean, even if not necessarily a lawyer, who's not to say that you won't change the world. (laughs) <laughs> one day also yeah, It's
1: actually um and thank you it's if you look at a lot of this what i'm noticing in, in family court especially is in family court in the domestic violence world is a lot of these bills and then you know laws are actually started from victims whether they have lost their child because maybe their child murdered their or i mean their abusive parent murdered their child and they're like, I have to change this so another child isn't hurt. So if you actually dig deep into these changes, it's actually not even lawyers. I mean, maybe some of them are, but like really these this is victims who are speaking up and refusing to let it go any longer and saying, this mm-hmm. needs to be this, I need to speak up on that. And this is actually what I tell my clients is, even though you're scared, you also have to think that there's like a line, right? Like you're ahead of somebody else, and when you speak on your story, you're turning around the person behind you or ten people behind you to make a change for them, and maybe your own daughter or your own son or whatever is that you speaking on your experience is going to change it, so maybe somebody else doesn't have to.
0: Mm-hmm. So I know that you have an organization. Do um, you want to talk about that and just kind of express what it does and what you do for for women and you know, I guess what it holds now and maybe what the future holds as well for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I actually, so I referred myself as a family court strategist. Um, I'm a certified high conflict divorce and custody consultant, but I also have other legal degrees. I don't provide legal advice because I'm not an attorney, but there's also a way to strategize in the family court system and approach it in a very smart way to keep yourself safe maybe escaping the abuse um navigating post separation abuse which is not talked about enough that just because you've left doesn't mean you're in the clear
2: mm-hmm. and
1: especially when you share a child with your abuser is it will continue for years so i help people not only plan their escape but then also helping people whether the same client or different clients navigating that post separation abuse um my business is called onyx Arrow Consulting, and I I do one on one sessions with clients. I'm also offering memberships, and I'm on TikTok as well. So I provide little tips and ad- addressing abuse because, like I said, there's different levels of abuse that even aren't maybe law, and to help clients make more of an impactful statement in court. I do find a lot of people say like, oh, you know, my abuser's just, it's just not nice. Or, you know, my partner's not nice. And it's like, no, that's abuse. And you have to make impactful words to that. So I help people do that as well.
0: Awesome. And so when, when did you start your organization or how long have you been doing this?
1: So I've slowly been doing it because I'm still in school. Um, I'm actually continuing on to study uh, policing policies because I'm like, I will learn everything. Psychology, police policy. Um, I (laughs) am also involved in um, uh, researching. I don't know how much I should say, researching um, a police department. Um, I've sued a family law attorney myself, but I'm, I'm currently working um, on researching uh, suing a police department, so I will take on anything. I don't help clients do that, but I to me there's no limit of what I can do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I help clients um, navigate that, and I was certified, um, let's say in, in 21, with my high conflict divorce and custody certification. Um, that is through um, her one mom's battle. Her name's Tina Swithin. So I'm certified through her, but I've continued my legal training and education. I'm certified in electronic discovery, which is all about like metadata and and all kinds of the field that people don't even think about going into family law. So yeah. that's amazing. That's awesome.
0: I mean, I think that's so cool. Just to kind of take something and and run with it. I I think it's empowering just personally, and um, I would love to talk to you so much longer, but. I know that you that me you that you're out of tight schedule. So I'd love to have you back um, yeah. on the podcast again. And you said that are you you're on Instagram? I know you're on Instagram and TikTok. Is it the yes. same username? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: On Instagram Consulting. I'm on TikTok and Instagram right now.
0: Awesome. And now just one last question, I guess, for you. Now, in your experience as you've, you know, gone through these relationships and you've had these experiences, what would you say, I guess, to women who are going through this now who may or may not even realize that they're in an abusive situation. So I would first, like if you're
1: dating, let's say you're not even in the relationship, I would slow down the pace a little and kind of not ignore your intuition. If this is someone who is ghosting you or taking days to respond, and I'm talking like multiple days or a week um, all those little red flags, I wouldn't ignore them. I also would check their profession. I would, you know, make sure that, you know, first of all, it's not a catfish. I feel like we are also in this world where, um, people, especially women, cause we're emotional creatures where it's a catfish and then they use you for money. It's a fake account, you know, mm-hmm. use you. So that would be my first step, but If people are in an abusive relationship, the number one thing that I can say, and it's probably the hardest, is switching your mindset from your emotional standpoint to strategy. And it's the survival. And to know that you can get out, it might be scary. It might be hard. It might, maybe you can't get out next week, but maybe your plan is in a year. And you say so you strategize, you switch your mindset to strategy, you document everything and you go about it a strategic way. And, you know, don't, I would never, I would never tell my partner, like, I'm going to leave or, you know, you need to go into therapy before I leave. Like I, At this point, mm-hmm. you're in abuse and you have to start thinking of survival because I see so many People in relationships, and especially women, is that they stay because they have kids with them. And the reality is, if you don't do anything, whether you're a man or a woman, it really doesn't matter. If you're in these situations where the kids are involved, uh, CPS could be easily called. Right. They can tell their school, kids could be taken. So it's honestly switching to the reality of that and switching to strategy to get out
0: of that abuse. Well, thank you so much, and I appreciate your time, and I'm so glad I had the opportunity to speak with you. And, wow. um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much to listening to Dirty Laundry with Danny. A special thanks to Tori at Onyx Arrow Consulting. I was so happy to have you as a guest. And remember, you can follow Tori at Onyx Arrow Consulting on Instagram. She's also on TikTok. She shares a lot of useful information. And offer support to anybody looking for domestic violence or legal support. And you can follow me at Dirty Laundry with Danny on Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook. Thank you for listening. Have a good day.